Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? In holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Dun, dun, dun. We're talking about the apocalypse. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's close. <laughs> mostly. I'm mostly kidding. We are. You may wish for the apocalypse by the time we're all said and done, but that is not where we are going to go. What we are going to do is, and by the way, I say we because it's not just me and the voices in my head. I'm over here. Lou's over there. Hey there. And we're here to tell you that um, God still has a book. I like that when I read that. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's written somewhere in a book somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I always think back. My line always comes from the, remember the, do you remember the movie Lake Placid? Of course, yeah. yeah. With the alligators mm-hmm. and Betty White. Yep. There's this um, scene where Oliver, is it Oliver Pratt? Is that the actor? He's the little the little rich scientist who use, who's, has the helicopter and everything. Mm-hmm. And he's explaining how the, the, the large crocodiles are migrating and stuff. And the sheriff's like, how do you know this? And he looks at him and he goes, well, they hide this information in books. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 never, I remember that part. I've never forgotten that. That's always been my favorite part of that. And it's like, yep, that's, that's what we did. We, we hid that information in a book. So there you go. Now, what are we talking about? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet. It's, Lou almost cried. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, we were so positive and encouraging a couple of weeks ago. Of course, it's been a couple of weeks, but... We have to stamp that out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, there was way too much uplifting going on. So we um, we are back here to crush your souls and make you realize that your only hope is Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. We're back to reality, folks. If I make the world look bad enough, then you will cry out and call to God. That's my that's my new strategy on life. I think that might work. So I, I'm, I'm yeah. sticking with it. It's all I got left. <laughs> yeah. I, I really do think right. that might work. So we read from 2 Peter 3. That's a little run-in. So the reason why I read you that little section is just kind of give you a flavor for where we are. Peter is talking about living your life from your deathbed with the idea that it's all going to end. Jesus is coming back. Nothing in this world is worth whatever value you have placed on. That's important because the reason I have to tell you that part is because the verse I want to start in starts off with a therefore. (laughs) Mm. So you need to know where we've been. So therefore... Beloved, since you look for these things, time out, Christian, this is how you're supposed to live your life. You are supposed to live your life expectantly. Expectant of what? The coming of Christ, the return of righteousness, the end of sin, the doing away with all corruption. As Paul talks about um, in Romans 8, the, the creation groaning for its redemption. You're supposed to be longing for all of those things. So since you are longing for all of these things... Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of their scriptures to their own destruction. Now that's important. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit one by one. Mm. So, you want to be found by him, you want to be found by Christ, in peace, spotless, and blameless. That means trusting and resting in him. You can't be spotless apart from Christ. You can't be blameless apart from Christ. You can't live in peace apart from Christ. 
you have to have a foundation in Christ. Absolutely. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. Now, this is where knowing your entire Bible is so very important. Galatians 1. If I or an angel from heaven preaches to you another gospel, let him be anathema. Second mm-hmm. John. If you don't understand the Son right, you don't have the Father. So if you don't have the right Jesus, you don't have peace with God. You don't have the right understandings of Jesus, you will not be spotless. You don't have the right understanding of Jesus, you won't be blameless in his presence, according to the doxology of Jude. So all of these things come together. It's not just, hey, you know what? Jesus and I are good. It's because I know who Christ is. I know what he has accomplished. I know that he is my redemption. Therefore, then we are good. So... You do that, you regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, meaning you're living your life here and now with the understanding and realization that the world is still spinning because God is still adding to his number. Right. There's, there's no other reason. There's not another thing. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's not waiting around for you to discover new secrets or the latest Bible code so you can make a documentary for the Discovery Channel and make a million. Oof. <laughs> funny he's not waiting for your novel interpretation to where you find the next brilliant thing that nobody's ever thought of in church history newsflash if you do that you're wrong just end of conversation you're wrong he's not waiting for that the fact that things are still spinning is the patience of god in salvation people are being added people are being saved we regard this as patience and good just as also our beloved brother paul according to the wisdom given him wrote to you now this is key because I am of the opinion that First and Second Peter are written from Rome to the surrounding area. Okay. So, any any objections to this? No, nah, no, right, I think right. that's pretty. Right. You, yeah. You know, so well, it is written. So it shall be done. All right. Yep. Or if you prefer the Mandalorian, I have spoken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good show. I like that dude. That yeah. little dude in season one. He just says something anytime somebody starts to argue with him. I've spoken. And he walks away. I'm like, I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking for an opportunity. Yeah, how does that not work out for me? Yeah. I do that. People just start throwing stuff at me. <laughs> Who do you think I, you are? I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> so, with that, Paul is pointing them back to what? What would that community look to when seeing what our beloved brother Paul wrote according to the wisdom given? It's the book of Romans. If you were going to look at any book to explain the living of Christian life... In regards to salvation and how that works itself out in your sanctification, is there a better option than Romans? Hmm. I mean, seriously? It's literally an exposition of what's wrong, how Jesus makes it right, and what you do in light of that. Right. I mean, so Peter's answer is, hey, you know that book you guys got? Go read it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go read it. For sure. So he wrote, as also in all his letters... So the assumption here is that other of Paul's letters, more than likely Galatians, the letters to the Corinthians, as well as more than likely maybe even his prison epistles are already circulating. So, again, simple comp Galatians, exposition of what? True gospel versus false gospel. That would be useful. That would be helpful. Right. Speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. So stipulated, right? You can't dive into Romans without at least a middle school reading comprehension level. Agreed? Well, for sure. I mean, you can do it. You can get the main point. But you you could you could potentially shipwreck yourself without some guidance there. Yeah. 
I know I know that these letters were were passed around to the different different places and they read them and and they they tried to understand them but they also had you know the what we call the old testament and so they were there were lots of congregations that were like the Bereans mm-hmm. check, fact checking yes, Paul absolutely. and they should and, have and, and Paul commends them for it right so i mean there was there was a lot of background information that some people didn't have you know like mostly the gentiles that weren't found in the synagogues the god-fearing gentiles um so there was a lot of background stuff that they didn't have any idea what it would have meant so yeah uh, the book of romans might have been very confusing for some especially because you're you're already by middle first century you're already starting to see that there's gonna be some division between the synagogue sect and what's becoming the church sect there's, sure. there's gonna have division you're starting to see, I think, by the middle and end of the first century, the Gentile population in the church is growing faster than the Jewish population. Oh, for sure. So, and it's causing uh, a jealousy oh, in the Jewish side. Um, and there were also these revolts, you know, the Bar Kokhba revolt and all of those things. And that, that furthers the division. Oh, yeah, it, it, it so put a split right down the middle. You're, you're going to see right here by the mid to late 60s A.D., which is when Peter is writing here, mm-hmm. you're starting to see people who go, well, I have... A gospel. I have Matthew's gospel. I have some of Paul's letters. I have a letter from James. That's the beginning of my Bible. That's my that's my rule of faith as it would be developed later on in the second century for the church. Like, no, no, this is the standard. This is what we hold to. And that's where we cling. Mm-hmm. And Peter's point is some of those things, if you read them that way, I think, could be hard to understand. If you just dive into Romans with no understanding of what's going on behind you, that could be very difficult. And if you only have a rudimentary understanding of the Old Testament, there's a lot in Romans that you could miss and a lot that you could also twist. Of course. You have to be able to keep big picture in mind, which is, again, what was one of the main – what's the main qualification? I was like, this Bible trivia time. You guys ready? Okay. Lou will represent the five of you. (laughs) Oh, I hope there's more than that. But So what's the main distinction? Spiritual gifting. What separates an elder from a deacon? What characteristic? There's one main one. Your age? No. no They're both supposed to be elders. Supposed to be elders. Okay. They're both supposed to be hospitable. Uh huh. Husband of one wife. Right. The elder has to be able to teach. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. It's not a qualification for a deacon. Right. Deacons are servants of the church. Teaching. Yep, I got you now. Titus 1 makes that clear that um, elder... You need to be able to teach because you have to understand and be be able to hold up sound doctrine and refute error. Because if it springs up in your congregation, you got to turn into um oh shoot five the names went right out of my head. You got to turn into Barney Fife real quick. Oh Barney. Yeah, you got to you got to nip it, nip it in the bud. <laughs> you got to pull out your one bullet out of your pocket, put it in your revolver, and light somebody up. <laughs> Well, Don't shoot the heretics. I remember. I I'm remember not, I'm that not show. advocating the shooting of heretics unless yeah. that is legal where you live, in which case, fire away. <laughs> well, all right. That escalated quickly, didn't it? Yes, it did. <laughs> we got to have some fun. So, uh, which are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they also as they do also the rest of their scriptures to their own destruction. So, if you are unlearned. If you are not able to teach, or if you are unstable, <laughs> warning, we may see both in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, this, this lines right up. Yeah, and Peter's whole point is, 
if you don't have a proper biblical grounding, if you're not longing for Christ, if you are not at peace, if you are not rested and spotless and blameless in him, then you are more than likely untaught and unstable. Right. You will then distort Paul's writings as well as the rest of the scriptures. We would never see anything like that in, say, the Gnostics, twisting and contorting both New Testament and Old Testament writings. We would never see anything like that. We would never see somebody like Marcion... <clears throat> Excuse me, throwing out the entirety of the Old Testament. We'd never see anything like that. Yeah. We would. We well, that's, would, that's, that's what the impetus of the early church to ratify the canon of Scripture is because of what Marcion did. And he, he contributed a large sum of money to the early church. Try, yeah, trying to and they gave traces. it back because yeah, they like, found out what he was teaching yeah, and they're okay. like, no, we're done. And to the point, though, this is why if you. If you, I, there's a handful of books that I that I would recommend. I, I don't have their names directly in front of me right now, but um, there's a lot of new. Uh, I say new, probably in the last 10, 15 years, new scholarship that is coming out on second century Christian church, and it's super helpful because the modern agnostic slash angry atheist movement has really tried to push the consolidation of Christian teaching into the to the fourth century even. Okay. You know, with um, the with the festal letter and the, the codification of the canon, mm -hmm. and what this research is showing in these these books are showing is that no 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 that rule of faith that I mentioned is an actual standard. Like, how did everybody in the second century know to look at Marcion's canon and go, that ain't it, that's not right? Because there was something to compare it to. There was an established authority right. already in place as early as the end of the first century. Yeah. And I think you're seeing it here with Peter, the establishing of that as early as the mid to late first century. We're going, no, 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 no. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. And we know who's on what side of everything. That becomes important because there's not anything new under the sun. Christian teaching has been pretty solidified for the better part of 2,000 years. Um, if you're the first person in church history to come up with something, you're probably wrong. Yeah. I'm going to keep hammering that idea home because there's no other place to rest. <clears throat> so, yeah. you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, so you know why you're in, you know what you're looking for, you know what you're supposed to be learning, you know that those are that are on the outs are doing this for the wrong reasons, knowing this, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Again, notice, Peter gives these false teachers no quarter. That's right. None wants, they are unprincipled. Yeah, they're un, and they're unqualified to teach. But I, I, I like the I like the translation here for unprincipled for one reason. Not it, it implies something that's very important. Not only are they leading you astray, mm -hmm. they know that they are leading you astray. Yeah. Always remember that which is known about God is known about God. They mm -hmm. are without excuse. Right. They know that they know, and we know that they know, and they know that we know that they know. <laughs> Are you confused yet? If not, we can keep going. Because <laughs> you know that they know that you know that. <laughs> Sorry. So, no, don't follow. You know what's wrong. Don't follow. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. In other words stand firm it's yeah. another one of those bible verses that that gives you that stand firm mantra yeah. hold the line would maybe be another way of putting it this is your colossians 2 being grounded 
This is <coughs> your anchor holding. This is all of these ideas all wrapped up in one place. You know what's true. You know the freedom that the truth provides. Now rest in it. Don't go looking for something else. <sighs> all right, who's ready to cry? Uh, <laughs> I knew we were getting to this point. Yeah, okay. I, I, um, I'm trying to remember. I forget who I pulled this from. Because I kept, there's some snark in this. Yeah. And there's just enough that I left it in there because <laughs> it needs to be there. Because this is actually a, um, there's actually a double whammy in here. Was it Red State that I pulled this, that, that I grabbed this from? I found the original article, but I liked the Red State commentary on it so much that I kept it. It was either them or the Federalist. I don't know. Let me see if I got it here from you. <sighs> no, I didn't even bring my phone in here, so... All right. Remember all those church leaders who said you weren't being winsome if you thought Christians should be better catechized to fight against postmodern sexual theory? Well, here we are. <laughs> that is just the right level of sarcasm that is necessary in this world. I truly believe that. <clears throat> Spectre.org? Spectre. Was it Spectre? Is that where that was from? Okay. Well, they were, they were on to something here. And by the way, short aside, this is a quick little off-ramp. Winsome is not a Bible, a biblical characteristic. Winsome? Winsome. It's not. <laughs> it's not. And this this is a whole thing that's gone on in the last couple of months in the evangelical world. I don't know why we have decided, my, uh, my wife puts it this way, we need to stop being nicer than Jesus. But isn't that, that seems yeah. to be the road we're going down is we can't call anybody a brood of vipers anymore. You can't tell anybody that if they want you to be circumcised, you might as well emasculate yourselves. Right. I mean, th th these are biblical talking points. When when Paul thought you were teaching a false gospel, he basically said you should go to hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, and Paul's like, if I start teaching a false gospel, send me to hell next. I mean, that was his entire point. The, there's no quarter. Peter calls them unprincipled and unstable. There's truth and there's error, and you have to be able to draw clear lines. Now, you don't have to be a jerk about it. This is why I tell you to develop a nice little tinge of sarcasm in your life. It's good for you. You need to be able to look at things and go, no, no. Yeah. Or when someone tells you, you need to be more nice, I'll get right on that. I mean, right. you need a little bit of that in your heart. Just the tiniest little bit, because if you don't, in your effort to be nice and polite and kind about everything, you will tolerate every manner of error and lunacy in this world. And let's be honest. Has the world gotten saner in the last three years? Oh, yeah. I'm surprised I mean, we even have to say that, but no, definitely not. I mean, would you like the task of going back in time and trying to explain the modern world to your 2012 self? I don't know that... I would believe myself. You would look at you like you'd yeah. lost your mind. After yeah. you'd be like, where'd all those wrinkles come from? You'd be like, dude, wait. Wait. Just wait. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't be able to understand these things. Like, the insanity that we are now confronting, you can't always be winsome about that. There reaches a point where you just have to stand up and say... Enough. No. It's enough. Yeah. The, what? Again, we need the RC. You need the RC Sproul button every so often. You need to be able to look at the world and just go, "What is wrong with you people? You, you just, you have to have it, because if you don't, they're gonna stomp on you, and that's not Christian living. Christian living doesn't have to be cruel, but Christian living does not have to be destroyed like a, by the steamroller that is the secular world. It just doesn't. So, no, I'm not trying to be winsome. 
I will be kind. Right. I will be loving. But I'm seeking the truth, not to win an argument. The truth always wins the argument, so as long as I rest in the truth, I have nothing to fear. So. Well, there's a lot of people that they don't care to hear the truth, so it, it will be abrasive no matter what. So Exactly. It, it might as well not yeah, well, try I, I, and make it palatable for everybody. Just tell, speak the truth in love, right? Yeah, it doesn't do me any good. I can't make this make sense to you. I can't make you like me for this. So no matter how nice you try to be, they're going to come for you. I mean, look, great example was the uh, the protest, the, the abortion protesters showing up at Lakewood. I mean, is there a better poster child for the unthreatening niceties of modern Christianity, right. air quotes Christianity, right. than Joel Osteen? Right, right. I mean— And, and yet, when push came to shove, the, uh, the naked feminists came storming, storming down his aisles to protest— they come for you, too, because they don't care. So, again, be loving. Be as kind as you can be, but don't give mm-hmm. quarter to error. Yeah, I Stand think Peter, the truth. Peter talks about it in his first epistle, you know, 315, yes. you know, sanctify the Lord in your heart and, mm-hmm. and always have a reason for the hope that you have. And Hold the line right. in everything. Yeah. So, all right, with all of that said, that was the offering. You're ready with, back, with, back on the highway. Back on the highway. Last year... The United Methodist Church, all right, insert eye roll here, because the United <laughs> Methodist Church has been going downhill for a while, accepted Isaac Simmons, who regularly preaches dressed as a drag queen under the name of Ms. Pentecost, as a candidate for ordination. All right, I'm just going to stop for a second. There were pictures that went along with this. Yeah. You need to... I didn't see anything that was terribly inappropriate. No, no. But you need to Google that, because... It's almost like, dude, you're trying to look as ridiculous as humanly possible. Like one of the pictures was like lime green eyeshadow and and mm. or something like that. It um, was just, it was insane. I yeah, mean, I mean, yeah, well, yeah. This this one here, she looks yeah. well. It looks like <laughs> Ronald Ronald Ray or Ronald McDonald. You know, it was that. The, was, was that the? Was is that the one I'm thinking about? It's got red. She's oh, but she has red, red. Red. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're talking about. Like, if you remember Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus, imagine if a dude tried to pretend to be her with red hair, red eyeliner, and red glasses. It's crazy. In a I red mean, evening gown. I'm not making that up. They're over the top. Now, this is going to... I didn't even know the Methodists got away from the um, the robes, much Ro- less into fashionable evening wear. What, but to let somebody <laughs> dress in drag and give a, a message to... Well, no, but what I'm getting at is, how do you go from you can't preach unless you're wearing the robes and the sash to, that's a nice evening gown, you can go with that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know dude, anything about Methodists. You skipped and, a few steps in there. Yeah. Like, I was, my grandparents were Methodists when I was a kid. And, like, they, they still do, like, the acolytes with the white robes and the lighting of the candles at the beginning of the service and the three hymns listed on the board ahead of time. So, okay. I mean, that, how do you go from that to, you know, that's evening wear. That's that's right. appropriate. Yeah, well, we'll go with that. Like, forget the, the ordaining women. Yeah. We're now ordaining, like, Drag show contestants. I get my. We, I, that's this, exactly this, what this is. Is if you've ever seen commercial for RuPaul's Drag, yes, yes that's what yeah. this looks like. Looks like a scene right out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh my goodness! So, but okay. uh, to be fair though, I think this congregation is splitting up over this whole well, controversial. Amen. But yeah. Boy, this is going to hurt you more in a second. Though. Okay. Since that time, Simmons, who serves as an associate pastor at Hope United Methodist Church in Bloomington, Illinois. I know it. I know it. When I read that, I was like, oh my goodness, it's right down the street. I drive through Bloomington twice every year going to my in-laws. It's two hours away from here. He has challenged basic theological concepts, projecting a worldview where divinity rests not in God, but in queerness. 
I still can't get over this. I, when I read that, I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, this well, is this is queer theology is what it is. I know, see, that's the thing, though. All right, you know how as you get older, like words that were bad are not bad anymore? Mm-hmm. I'm still of the generation, like, the word queer was an insult when I was a kid. Like, right. that was not a word that you would ever see printed in a newspaper article of any kind. Right, it was a slur. And we used to say it to each other, be like, when the teachers would complain, it just means weird. <laughs> you know, and the teacher gives you the look like, I'm not stupid, don't pretend I am, and you'd be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and then they claimed it. I mean, that's the Q in the LGBTQIA plus 2S, mm-hmm. you know, R2D2. <laughs> right, right. You, you never know what it's going to be. I mean, it's got a lot more now. I know it's gotten to. I I, I lost track. Me too. Uh, it was LGBTQIA plus, and I thought it stopped there, but I saw the other day there's a two, mm-hmm. and then there's an S, and I don't know if there's a P or not. I can't remember. I've lost track too. And but I don't yeah, know what the S I know it is. keeps growing. The two was for two spirits, so apparently these people are legitimately claiming to be demon possessed at this point, but. Uh. <laughs> So <clears throat> I don't know what that was or where that idea came from, but it is what it is. So we're now going to arrest the divinity and queerness. Now, this is where this gets interesting, because remember what Peter's talking about. Unprincipled. You're not being led astray by accident. You're being led now by wolves. Mm-hmm. This is wolves in action. In a church preparing to split over LGBTQ issues, the drag queen pastor, there is just a sentence five years ago would not have made any sense to anybody. Right. But here we are. Here we are. Who embraces queer theology while barely attempting to plaster on the basic tenets of Christian theology. It's because he's plastering on his makeup. But anyway, has become a lightning rod. Conservatives argue that Simmons's role as a celebrated figure among progressive Methodists proved the church has become so radically liberal as to forswear Christ. You think? You think? Yeah. I, 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 you know, when I read this, I almost can't believe it. But it, it's reality, and we it, need it, to be ready to combat and this. And here's the unprincipled part in mass. You ready? Okay. Progressives promote Simmons and invite him to preach in drag as a way to challenge the conservative position on sexuality that the denomination officially still takes. They're picking the fight intentionally. They're picking it? This they, is not an accident. They, they're intentionally trying to divide and conquer. Yes. That's, that's what they're doing. Simmons has published a new video of himself performing slam poetry. This gets better and better. Oh, this was bad. I yeah. had to look this up to make sure it actually wasn't the Babylon Bay. Okay. <clears throat> I genuinely did. What What was it? Actually, that was my answer. The article that you found was linked from Not the Bee. That's where I found it. That's where the snark at the beginning came from, is from Not the Bee. Not the Bee. Which is their news site, or the guy who used to, who founded the Babylon Bee, mm-hmm. who started an actual news site. That's his website. That's where it came from. I just remembered that. Okay. So... He's doing slam poetry. In what may be his most provocative repudiation of traditional Christianity and embrace of queer spirituality. That sentence, again, doesn't even make sense. Like, I know what all of those words mean individually, but when you put them in a sentence, they don't make any sense. God is nothing, the self-described drag evangelist repeats throughout the poem. Drag evangelist. I hope that makes it to the dictionary. I really do. Mm. They deserve it at this point. He adds, the Bible is nothing, and religion is nothing. Then what are we doing here? In the end, he concludes, God and the Bible are nothing unless we wield it into something. Have you ever seen the movie Saved? Who's in it? I might um, have. Mandy Moore and Macaulay Culkin. 
I, I, I can't recall. It's um, it's a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. Macaulay Culkin plays a wheelchair-bound kid, and Mandy Moore plays like a mean girl at Christian camp type okay. of a thing. Okay. And they're all supposedly Christians, except for this one girl who's trying to work out her salvation. And it's it's an odd it's an odd movie. I haven't watched it in a while, but <laughs> there's a scene that I love. Because the um, the girl who's trying to work out her Christianity while Mandy Moore's character is like everything that's a fake Christian and a teenage girl. Yeah. And she insults Mandy Moore's character and then turns around to walk away because she tells her she's unloving. And when she walks away, she grabs a Bible and throws it at her and yells, I am filled with Christ's love. <laughs> <laughs> Bang. And chucks a Bible at her and she picks up the Bible and goes, it's not a weapon. <laughs> well, it's, technically, it's the sword. Yeah. But I, when I read that statement, that's what I picture: is is this drag queen chucking a Bible at me, yelling, "I am filled with Christ's love." I mean, you know, while he wings a In wings drag. a hardcover at me. Yeah. yeah, there you go. He speaks of God not as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but rather as the source of queerness, describing him as nothing but a drag queen with a microphone of biblical bleeping proportions. This just gets better and better. Nothing, but if she were, she would be, yes, queening her way down the runways of Paris and Montreal, and nothing, but if she were, she would be a seamstress of divine couture, weaving together string theory and self-portraits to form the fiercest gowns of queer existence. It's blasphemy. That doesn't even mean anything. Oh, they're they're making God into their own image is what they're doing, but... But what's that poem? A pile of words filled with sound and fury, signifying mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah, that's right. what that is. That's, yeah, that's what that it is. sentence doesn't actually mean anything. It, it's like how do you, how yeah. do you talk and say nothing at the same time, constantly? Well, there, to people whose ears are itching to hear this, uh, good point. Good it, point. It is saying something. It's it, they're they're validating their their lifestyle. You know, you're they're, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I. Which, once again, though, unprincipled and unstable. And yeah. Emphasis on the unstable here, I think. Right, right. I mean, other translations say wicked. I mean, I mean, if I walked in, I'm just wicked. trying to imagine the reaction from a congregation if I walked into church with, like, RuPaul makeup and an evening gown. Oh, my. I'm not entirely sure somebody wouldn't shoot me. <laughs> well, in this, well, man, no, there's a lot of people packing heat in this church. So you might get shot. They might... <laughs> I mean, it might be justified at that point. It'd be like an old western, you know. Just had to put him out of his misery, poor one thing. Of the old guys in my, one of the old guys in the congregation would be standing over me, blowing the smoke out of his barrel. He needed killing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you know which one I'm talking about, too. Don't, you can see it, can't you? <laughs> you can see it. Oh, my. Yep. Pretty much. Uh-huh. Me and my sequins all splayed out, bleeding on the floor. <laughs> That's going to hurt. <sighs> Excuse me. He believes humanity, then, is an emanation of that divine queerness. From under a shroud of secrecy came the beauty of humanity. Humanity humanity made in the gender-bending, identity-breaking, system-shaking image of God, the Imago Dei. Now, okay, now that's blasphemous. That's insane. He refers to humanity as God's queerly anointed creation. Oh, there it is. Simmons writes that the poem is directed to those who actively and passively cause harm against the LGBTQIA2S plus community due to their understandings of Scripture. He's actively trying to subvert the truth. Right. So all, all right. of you people who are 
believing that your Bible was actually written to promote godliness and righteousness and sanctification, you're the problem. Well, they're redefining what that is. Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to say that God made them this way. Therefore, this, this must be an expression of the Imago Dei. But you have to be able to read contextually. You have to be able to, to be honest with what the text actually says. And you're going to have to be able to say, just because it was written in the beginning doesn't mean it's not relevant for our life. Christ himself defines marriage as a man and a woman. Amen. But, so This is what's interesting to me, though. Let's stop for a second. All, all right. right. You want you want to you ready to you ready to put on your psychoanalyzing hat for a second? Okay, let me take this one right. off. <laughs> and I'm serious about this. This is this is something that just hit me. I didn't think about this until just now. So we're gonna work this idea out in real time. All right. Unstable, unprincipled, you know, m- malignant tumor of the church. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, for sure. Scratching, itching ears. Leading people astray who are weak in the faith and not able to understand and come to a knowledge of the truth, right? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. In in all of its weirdness, that actually makes sense to me. You have a perversion. You seek to destroy God in the church as best you can. Therefore, you lead others astray in an effort to do just that, to undermine the kingdom. Like ravenous wolves. Yes. I have no problems with that understanding. Right. The poem is directed to those who actively and passively cause harm against the blah, 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 community due to their understandings of Scripture. He's not trying to scratch itching ears. He's trying to provoke the other side. Why? Well, because those other people, they want in the front door as well. They're trying to say that you can be gay Christian too. They're trying to break down all of yeah, but, the... But that's the, but that's the wishy-washy side. That's the like-minded, the people who don't have that understanding of Scripture. Like, you're fighting... Well, this they're is, demonizing. Well, agreed. But... Why? You, 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 I, but you, what do you... I mean, what are, okay. your, what are your thoughts on well, it? Well, that's why I'm trying to work this out in real time, because it, if, you're, if, you, if you understand this as trying to get like-minded people to your side trying to get the unstable to convert to your way of thinking, trying to prove that the way that the church has taught it is wrong. The people who are on the fence, I get that, but the people who actively and passively cause harm, those are the people that aren't having a conversation. Those are the people who aren't surrendering their view of Scripture. Mm -hmm. You're warring against them. This is one of yeah, the Yeah, they're reasons. calling us out, right? Well, yeah, but I'm thinking this is one of the reasons why I've said before that the locusts never stop until everything is devoured mm-hmm. because they can't stop. This is not content to win an argument for their side and destroy your church. This is an affront. This is a shot across the bow of the church that we're coming for you as well. We're not stopping just because we've converted your goats. We want to kill the sheep too. That, that just didn't strike me earlier that the... the, the no, I think you got something there. In yeah. his own words, that this is not directed at his people. This is directed at you people. Yeah. This is directed at the people who won't convert, who won't go. That's why the progressive side of the Methodist church is inviting him intentionally to pick a fight. They're trying to drive the sheep out. They don't want to convert you. They want you to leave so that they can assume the institution to do what with it. I have no earthly idea. I mean, the Methodist Church has been a laughing stock in evangelical circles for how many years now? 10, 15? 
uh, at least. Uh, I mean... Yeah, I think it's it's purpose purposeful. They're, they're driving a division between those who think like they do in their congregation or their denomination, if you will, and those who don't. And they want their own... They're looking for their own denominational stake, you know, like, like they did to the Lutherans and even the Presbyterians. Well, they're going down that road now, too. I know. So. It's hard to believe. But Well, and, you're, and we're seeing it right now even with the Southern Baptist Convention, the, yeah, the yeah. equivocation yeah. on secular, secular ideology being brought into the church. This is What's interesting to me, though, <clears throat> excuse me, is you can trace this. So the Anglican Church, well, no, the Episcopalian Church, which right, is the right. Anglican Just... branch in the United States, mm-hmm. they went first. And it was, do you remember what the issue was? I don't. The ordination of women. Okay, okay. You get that camel under the nose of the tent, and then all the other insanity follows. Then the Presbyterian Church, what was the issue? Is ordination of women. You see the PCUSA and the PCA split. The PCUSA goes completely off the rails after the ordination of women. The Methodist Church did the same thing. And now the Southern Baptists. They started with the ordination of women. And then they moved on to the other cultural issues. What's interesting to me, though, is that the Southern Baptist Church didn't really surrender on the ordination of women. No, they haven't, but they're allowing— They've basically held the line there. I mean, not as well as in some places as I would like, but they've held the line. They've gone after the SBC through another cultural means. They haven't gone after the SBC through a— through a theological means, which is what the ordination of women was, a hermeneutical means, they've, well, I take it back. That's a hermeneutical means because once, the reason why that becomes the issue is because once you change your hermeneutics to to understand Titus 1, um, 1 Timothy 2 and 3, once you change your hermeneutics for those verses, you have no reason to not change your hermeneutics for Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, Matthew 19, Genesis 2. All of those other passages are surrendered because of the surrender you made on the women's issue. The SBC didn't surrender on the women's issue, but they're surrendering their hermeneutics on the white privilege issue. Yeah. And they're surrendering the hermeneutics on the understandings of racism and what that entails for the gospel. And I think long term, this is where it leads you no matter what, because once you surrender your hermeneutics, once you surrender how you understand the text and what the text means, well, you've basically dulled the sword, haven't you? You have taken the sword of the spirit and mm-hmm. you have ground it down on a stone. You now just have a knife handle. There's nothing left. It's what the Episcopalian Church did. It's what the Anglican Church in England is doing on the same issue. It's what the the Presbyterian Church did. It's what the Lutheran Church did. It's what the Methodist Church did. You can't surrender your understanding of Scripture. You can't surrender the standard that Paul and Peter and Moses and the prophets have laid down. Once you surrender that, (laughs) what have you got left? Which is why I think it's interesting that now that I'm thinking this through a little bit more even, that what was Paul's point? Or not Paul, what was Peter's anchor? You understand. The unstable and untaught, the unprincipled men will use this to lead you astray. But you... Stand firm. Why? Why will you stand firm? Because you are longing for the blamelessness, the spotlessness, the peace that is found in Christ. You have been changed. You have been redeemed. Therefore, you look at this and go, what are you people doing? Again, the button. What is wrong with you people? I mean, that's where you rest. It really does come back to not just what you believe, but why you believe it. 
where the anchor of your soul is held in this world. I mean, I know the anchor of your soul is Christ's work through the Holy Spirit, but ultimately that is built on an understanding of Scripture, is it not? Absolutely is. So it, that just hit me that the attack is is you yeah. people. Yeah, they're coming for— Basically to undermine what? Yeah. To undermine the your truth. understanding of Scripture. Yeah. That which holds you firm, that which the Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance. So, well, I, I think that we have to rest knowing that the Holy Spirit is better at His job than we are, and as amen. teachers, we need to really buckle down and teach the Word, and not, and not you know, waver to and fro. We've got to stay on the foundation that it was handed and over to, to us to do the hard work. Yeah. Which also means, Christian, you ready? I don't have this issue. Well, I mean, maybe with a couple of people, but. If your pastor's not doing the hard work, encourage him and demand that he does. Right. If you're getting three points in a poem in today's spiritual application on how to raise your kids better, demand some Bible exegesis. Demand some depth of understanding because the times are coming and are now here where the world isn't just going to take, oh, your kids are doing well. You've raised them well and you have a good marriage. Tell me how that works. They don't care. They want you to affirm me, tell me that I'm good or else. Right. And if you don't have that foundation, you don't have that firm footing, something's well, something sawing on your anchor chain and you can be in And another thing that, that comes to mind immediately is the version of scriptures that you're reading. Um, with some of these newer modern translations, they, they start messing around with pronouns and, and stuff like that. And so they're, they're, they're starting to lay the foundation to whereas you can accept some of these heresies that are yeah, being taught. Be careful. Yeah, so literal translations are really good ones. Yeah. Again, I've said for years the best Bible is the one you will read. Right. But I do encourage you, over time, dig into as literal a translation as you can find. Even if you don't read it on the regular, have it around so that if you read something and go, Huh. When it's time to start digging into the study, go get the other translation. Right. Make, just just make sure. And there's a lot of great interlinear tools, even if you're not a scholar, that can help you work through that. Mm-hmm. I recommend grabbing a few websites, bookmarking them somewhere. That way, if you have any questions, you can kind of kind of know where to go and dig through on some things, especially some of these harder translational issues. But to your point, though, yeah, grab a decent translation. Grab an ESV. Grab even a New King James, an NASB. Um, what's the new one? The, the is it the Legacy Standard Bible? Yes, yeah, I like that a lot too. But grab that one. Like I said, even if you're yeah. not a person who's going to read that every day because you don't like how wooden it is, and like I mean, look, I do this regularly, and I tie myself in a knot on occasion with the NASB because it doesn't read well because it's not meant for an English audience, so to speak. It's it's preserving as much as it can the natural word order to make the emphasis there. Mm-hmm. So I get that if you're like I just don't like reading it. I understand that. Keep your NLT, keep your old NIV if you like reading it. I'm not going to fuss at you. But just have that NASB, have that ESV on the shelf, preferably with some good study notes. And that way when there's some questions or somebody's saying something, you can kind of go and, and give yourself a little bit more more hold on an anchor. That's all I'm saying. Mm. Recommend. And over time, you'll, you'll, you'll get there. I'm not worried about that. Holy Spirit's good at his job. He'll get you there. Right. <laughs> yep. That's what I started with. Yep. So... Okay, so what have we learned here today, children, before we just all want to go cut ourselves in the corner? <laughs> Scripture is the standard. Amen. Amen. Sin hates that standard. Ah, yes. <laughs> and Satan's minions will never leave you alone. 
Never. Yeah, they don't coming. know how. They're coming for you. They they absolutely are. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, we need to stop acting as if they're not coming for well, us. Yeah, well, we need to recognize that we're in a battle. They're here. Mm-hmm. The battle lines have been drawn. Well, they're at your front door. Yeah, you're they're about in, ready to kick it down. You're in Joshua 24 territory. Mm-hmm. I mean, there should be somebody out front in a white horse yelling, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Right. Because that's the decision they're going to make you make. You make. They're going to force you to choose something. Christian, don't be the Nazis at the Grail. Choose wisely. <laughs> you chose poorly. <laughs> there you go. Right. And until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.